you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Yeah, you know, right now uh, we have the atmosphere of a, of a JC softball game. You know, I mean, that's what we are, JC softball team. As long as, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's not whether you win or lose. It's like who, the, 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 the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know, that crap like that. You know, all this stuff that's contaminated America where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring Little League anymore. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? Turn that damn you Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm flying solo for this edition. But don't worry. I know. <laughs> These are never as good without Cousin Shane. I just got a couple things. You won't have to listen to me spiel on here for very long because this is a special edition here. We got Matt Hayes, college football insider. Writes for Saturday Down South, Stadium. He's written for Bleacher Report, Sporting News. On and on and on. One of the most knowledgeable college football insiders in the country. On the show. Coming up here in just a minute. He recently wrote about Dan Mullen, so I wanted to talk about that. And he's got an article coming up on Kirby Smart, so hit on that as well. And, you know, I think you guys will really appreciate this. Really thankful that uh, Matt Hayes joined the podcast here to talk it all down. But before we get to that, just a couple quick items. Promised you guys that uh, anytime there was going to be an update on the EA Sports College Football video game, well, we got a minor update here. EA Sports in the game because since we've last recorded let's give this guy credit he used to work for matt brown formerly of a sb nation now he runs his own site extra points matt brown has found out he's acquired a document is what he's done here from ea sports but essentially uh, they've given a timeline this is the timeline that ea sports is discussing with the college football programs when the next football game will be coming out it's a bit of good news, bad news. Hey, they're still on track to make the game, but it's not coming out until July 2023. That's according to EA Sports' internal memo. Now, you never know. That could get sped up, but it's pretty safe to assume if that's what they're envisioning, that's you know that's what they're going to shoot for. And I don't know many video games that come out a year in advance of a deadline. So that's looking... To be the realistic deadline again, July 2023. But here's the good news with that. So we've already had teams like Notre Dame and Northwestern say they're not going to be in the game until the name, image, and likeness stuff comes about. 
And that's just going to give uh, EA Sports and the NCAA more time to figure that out. Two years, you know, two, uh, two and a half years to get that all resolved. I certainly think by that time, hell, I think this is going to be coming about this fall. So certainly in a year, two year, they're going to have enough time to resolve that, get all the games, get all the teams in the game that, that deserve to be in there. I know nobody on here gives a damn about Notre Dame or Northwestern, and why would you? But just wouldn't be the same game without all those teams. And it does involve somewhat the SEC as well because Kentucky, they are not a member of the licensing partnership. I think it's called CLC. Kentucky's not in there. They're working to get in the game, but it, that's a, another thing. That's what EA Sports is having to do. The vast majority of programs are in the CLC, so they've got them in the game, but they're going to have to work out individual deals with schools like Kentucky, like a Notre Dame, like a Northwestern. And now that we know the time frame they're shooting to make this game, really good chance that all those schools make their way into the next EA Sports college football game. Real quick here, nothing big, but you know we said on the last show looking like 13 spring games. Really wish I didn't have said that because as soon as I did, <laughs> Kentucky turned around and said, hey, we're not having a spring game either. Apparently they're still using their facility for COVID vaccination site and all that. So Kentucky joins Florida. No spring game. They're still going to hold spring camp, obviously. Same. This is, doesn't really affect Kentucky. They're still going to have the same 15-amount practices. Fans just won't be able to get to attend. Won't be a televised event, at least to my knowledge. Maybe they'll televise one of their scrimmages, but I kind of doubt it. But that's where we're at right now. So we're down to 12 spring games. 12 is better than zero. At zero last year, so I'll take 12 every day and twice on Saturday. So that's the latest update. Texas A&M also announced they're pushed back their spring a week later. It's going to start on March 29th. Their spring game is going to be April 24th. And next this time next week, Auburn will already be in camp. They're starting Monday, March 15th. Vanderbilt starting Wednesday, March 17th. With, I believe, all the rest will be kicked off by the following week. So, man, we've got tons and tons to get to. We'll be covering all the spring football all around the SEC as it comes about. But that's enough of me spieling on here. Let's get to our guest, Matt Hayes. If you're not already, you got to give this guy a follow at Matt Hayes CFB, one of the nation's premier college football insiders. I think you guys are really going to appreciate the content here. All right, we're pleased now to be joined by one of the best college football insiders out there, Matt Hayes. He writes for Saturday Down South Stadium, and he's also host of XL Primetime on Jacksonville's 1010 XL Radio. Matt, thanks for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. It's my pleasure. Now, the main reason I wanted to have you on, your latest uh, feature column here for Saturday Down South, it's called uh, First and Ten, which is your series. Dan Mullen's job security at Florida is simple. Win or walk. Now, that's kind of bold. I mean, the guy just won the SEC East. He's one of the best coaches in all of college football. But I got to give you credit because I think you were the first one I saw in a similar story. wrote about Jim McElwain and maybe his time coming to an end because of the death, the alleged death threats. Uh, you also wrote about Jeremy Pruitt and the fact that Tennessee was trying to 
find a way to get him out. You know, with the with the investigation and whatnot, you were completely dead on with both of those. So, you know, what makes you think that uh, Dan Mullen's future is in doubt after such a strong couple of seasons there in Gainesville? I, I don't know that his future is in doubt, Michael, as much as it is he controls what his future holds. I mean, to a certain extent, to a great extent, actually, all coaches do. If you win, a lot of the stuff that is bothersome to your bosses or maybe bothersome to the fan base or big boosters goes away because you're winning. I mean, and so far what Dan has done has been impressive. You know, what he's pulled that program from, you know, it has been, you look at 29 wins in three years, three straight New Year's six bowls. Um, the reality is they are three defensive stops away from winning the SEC championship and being the eventual national champion. And were it not for penalties and mistakes, they'd have got off the field in all three of those situations, which Alabama eventually scored on, by the way, and that's a different game. So he clearly knows what he's doing on the field as far as winning games. But I, I think the problem, the problem with Dan really arose this past season off the field. That's the issue, I think, that, that is really rubbing people for the wrong way. Um, it begins and ends really that was a thing that a lot of people just sloughed off like it was nothing. But, you know, Florida's on probation now in football for the first time in three decades. And that's a big deal to that university because they said over and over that you can win the right way and still win championships. And, you know, and Spurrier proved it when he, when he uh, returned there in 1990. You know, in the 80s, they were a rogue program in the SEC. They were, you know, one of the dirtiest programs in all of college football. They had the best team in college football in 1984 and, you know, weren't recognized because of probation. So Spurrier's first team in 1990 won the SEC, wasn't recognized because of probation uh, from, the, from the previous staff. So they've been very, very, very secure in their idea of you can win the right way, and they've done it for three decades and haven't been put on probation. And now Dan gets there and he gets put on probation for, for doing something that he knew was wrong. He willingly committed the violation. So that was a big issue. And he got, you know, he got a, a show cause order. And again, I know we're at this point now where we are in, in, in college sports where the idea of, you know, players are going to get paid. And I'm, believe me, I've been the guy that's been pushing for the NIL for three years. So I understand all of that. Um, and I think players need more stay in the game. I, I, I've been one who's been pushing for five years that they should get an automatic transfer no matter what I have to sit out. Um, and all that stuff is going to happen. But I, I think the idea that because all this stuff is going to happen, that we just ignore these rules violations. Everybody just ignores them like they're nothing. And what they are, Michael, and I think what people fail to understand is they're competitive advantages for those who cheat. Competitive advantage on the field. And look, the rules are there for a reason. There still are the rules. Everybody follows the rules. And those who don't, you know, get caught and they get, they get put on probation. And, and if you do something bad enough, you get a show cause order against you as a coach, which, of course, means if you were to take another job in the NCAA, the school would have to show, show cause why they were hiring you. Um, that's a big deal, okay? And, and, and I, I think it's been kind of minimized because the idea of what he did when he saw a recruit, a recruit at a dead period, um, you know, people think, oh, that's nothing. But it's not. It's not. That's how you gain a competitive advantage. Um, when, when, you, when you tell a kid you're going to be out of school, go to the school so I can see you, that's cheating, okay? And, and everybody follows the rules for a reason. The ones who don't, they cheat, and sometimes you get caught, sometimes you don't. 
But look, if we're all going to be under the same umbrella, which you are in this in this concept of you know amateur sports, then you should you should follow the rules. So anyway, that's a big deal for those people at that university for the. For not only the, the administration in sports, but the administration at the university. That was a big deal. And then, you know, he had these three very public, um, very amateurish instances where he was damaging the brand, basically, at Florida. The brand that they've taken three decades to build because of, you know, they came off that idea of being a rogue program in the 80s, and they worked and worked and worked to be this program that did it the right way. And, you know, and... That, I think, is what two or actually three different people, three of the sources at the university told me the issue is he's damaging the brand. Um, and and when, you, when you go out against Texas A&M, you lose that game. It was a tough game. They should have won the game. You fumble the ball away. A&M gets the ball, and they kick the field, and the game's over. And I understand the frustration. But you don't come out and say, look, there was way many people here. Let's pack the swamp next week. You can't say that during a pandemic. You just can't. You look like a sore loser, number one. Number two, it's not something you say during a pandemic. And, of course, a couple of days later, Florida gets the outbreak in their program. Um, you know, and then you go to the Missouri game. They come back from the outbreak, okay? The first game back against Missouri. They're kind of struggling in the first half. And, they, you know, but they're up. It's kind of comfortable, like 21-6. And, and something happens with Kyle Trask. And maybe he was late hit. Maybe it wasn't. And Dan runs on the field and, and is, like, instigating a fight. And don't kid yourself, he was doing that. And believe me, the SEC office was very, very upset about it. So were the league president. So it's not like me saying he's instigating a fighter. It's my opinion. That's, that's what he was doing. That's what the league office felt he was doing. Um, and he was, of course, reprimanded by that. And, and, I, and I had one source in the league office tell me that were it not for, were it not for the idea of the pandemic and everybody's trying to get through the pandemic, he probably would have been, it probably would have been more than just a, a you know, a letter of reprimand for Dan Mullen. He might have missed half a game or a game suspension for that. It, what he did was wrong, just flat out wrong. And then as he's walking into half, as he's going into the locker room at halftime after that, he starts riling up the fans, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that's right. Then after the game, they went big. He comes to the press conference and dresses Darth Vader. <laughs> I mean, you just don't do that. You, you are, you, what you're doing right there is you are changing the brand of your program. And then, of course, the final game of the season in, in the Cotton Bowl, they get pants by Oklahoma, and he comes out and says, our season ended 11 days ago, or whatever it was. And, you know, this isn't the team. You're, you know, our team isn't this team. And what you're doing right there is you're minimizing the players you have on your roster. You're minimizing your staff, so their ability to get those guys ready to play. And, you're, and more than anything, you're telling people, you're telling your boss and you're telling your fan base, I don't care about this game. Who cares? And you can't do that. You just can't. And, and that's, what, that's what got him in this situation where – his bosses are not happy with him. Uh, the university president's not happy with him. And there's, you know, there was an uncomfortable pause there for a little bit. I think they're trying to work these out. They're trying to figure out, you know, here's what we need to do moving forward. Let's work together. Let's find a way out of this thing. And the way out clearly is winning games and, you know, Dan kind of pulling back on his personality. You can have that type of personality, although I don't know if you can in this day and age. If you're winning championships, it's a lot easier to have that kind of personality. Um, but if you don't win championships and you don't win big, that stuff's going to rub people wrong enough to where at one point they're just going to say, look, it's not worth the headache. Keep it. Well, speaking of uh, Dan's personality, I'm wondering if that hurts him at all in recruiting, uh, because I just wanted to ask you, you know, not about his overall recruiting or anything. I know a lot of fans not always satisfied with Florida's final rankings, but 
kind of the, the one that really stuns me is his inability to land an elite recruit at the quarterback position, given, you know, the you can go down the list of the guys he's developed and turned into college stars, NFL stars. Are you surprised that, uh, you know, he struggles so much to land an elite quarterback there at Florida? You know, it's interesting, Michael. I, I think, so, and I've talked to many coaches about this. A lot of coaches, you know, the elite guys, sometimes they're not coachable. At least that's what they say. That's the, that's the kind of the response I've been giving to that, that the guys that are just a notch under that, that still are clearly talented, you know, the four-star guys that want to be those big elite five-star guys or the guys that really start to, you know, really start to develop into elite quarterbacks or the high three-star guy, a guy like Mac Jones, who will work, 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 and work. And once he gets his opportunity, he really shines. Um, you know, most coaches will love coaching guys like that. But, look, you cannot ignore the reality of, you know, the teams that are dominating the college football playoff right now, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, you throw Georgia in there. Those are the teams that recruit better than anyone else at every position. So you can say recruiting is overrated. I'm going to say right now it's not. It absolutely isn't overrated. Because at the end of the day, players win games. Players make the plays that help you win big games. And, and you, cannot, you cannot ignore that, and you can't avoid it. And I think right now, he, he, Dan doesn't, doesn't recruit to the level at which some believe he should at that university. And, you know, it's look, he's going up against – you know, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, uh, Tennessee, you know, all these all these heavyweights in his own conference for the same players. They're all going after the same players. So it's a tough sled, there's no doubt. But yeah, I, I think the criticism of his recruiting isn't warranted. Yeah, yeah. I mean if if you're if you think that Florida should be playing for a national championship every year, if you think Florida should be in that conversation every year, they're gonna have to recruit better. There's no doubt about it. I know Dan Mullen was not offered an NFL job this offseason, but if he would have been, is he Florida's coach right now? Well, let's go back real quick, Michael. It, 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 what, what he did off the field this year, and specifically those three press conferences, cost him big time with the NFL. Because the NFL is a league. Look, college football is about coaches. The coaches and their personalities, they're the number one draw for college football. And the NFL is completely flopped. It's the players are the number one. So the NFL, they don't want big personalities as coaches. Look at the, uh, look at the championship games, the conference championship games. You've got, uh, you've got uh, Sean McDermott at Buffalo. You've got Andy Reid with the Chiefs. And then you've got, you've got uh, the Bucks and the who's, – who's, they beat the Packers, right? right? Yeah. Those are four coaches right there, right? Four coaches that are not these guys that are standing out with big personalities. And, and – Urban Meyer learned it very quickly with the Jaguars. A month into his tenure there, he tried to hire Chris Doyle, the, the uh, former Iowa strength coach who had gotten into a lot of hot water with the way he treated African-American players or allegedly treated African-American players. And it blew up. You know, and Urban's first response to it was, well, we vetted him. And then within 24 hours, Chris Doyle had resigned. And your, coaches are not the main players in the NFL. That's what hurt Dan in this, this offseason. It, with the NFL because NFL teams were looking at Dan Fryer this past year, and they probably will again if he changes his ways. And that's kind of the big story too. When you really get down to it, Michael, is will Dan change? Will he be a different person? Um, it's hard for guys who have done it less way all their life and have had success like he has to change. And a perfect example is his pre-spring press conference when you know, he was asked about his contract, which is now down to three years. And 
So it's under the four-year limit where a lot of people say, oh, you're going to get recruited against negatively. And, you know, how do you recruit with that hanging over you, which is, which is bush. It really is. It doesn't mean anything, okay? Because at, at the end of the day, every one of these players, it's a one-year deal for them. It's a one-year deal for the coach. They can be gone at any time. Um, but, you know, he gets to ask that question, and, and his response isn't, look, this is spring. All I care about is this team. we got to get better. His response is, that's not an answer for me to question. That's some other guy's press conference. That's some other guy's his boss, Scott Strickland, or, or, you know, or, or Kent Fox, the president of the university. He said, you know, I let them answer that question. I mean, you just don't do that. And, and those are the things that I'm talking about where he, Dan almost to a fault, has to be who he is. He can't change. Um, he needs to change. There's no doubt about it. He needs to be a little more humble in what he does. But, you know, all coaches have huge egos. It's not just Dan. They all do. They all feel like, look, you know, you hired me to do a job. I'm going to go do a job. I'm going to win games. Let me do my job. But it's not like that. It's not how it is anymore. All right, last question I got for you on Dan Mullen. So Florida's, they got a tough schedule next year. They host Alabama week three, play Georgia uh, in Jacksonville, as always. They host Florida State. And maybe you could even throw in a trip to LSU here. But, you know, those are the marquee games on the schedule. If Florida has a losing schedule, uh, or excuse me, a losing record in those three, four games, however you want to slice it, how hot is uh, Dan Mullen's seat by the end of next season? Well, here's the thing. Um, if if Florida's losing like that to the point where, you know, they're one and three in those games and, and you know, let's say they're three and one in the other games and they're four, four in the conference, Dan's going to be – he'll be off the, he'll be off the wall because he's a, such a competitor, okay? And I want to make this very clear, too. Dan's a hell of a coach. So he'll have that team ready to play. There's no doubt about that. He'll have Emory Jones ready to play at a high level. And he'll be able to use his offense that he's used for years where you will have more run game stuff with Emory Jones. And the, and, the, and the quarterback position of Florida, if you can even believe anyone would say something like this, might be more dangerous than the guy who just set every, almost every single season record passing. Because when you add the, the ability for the quarterback to run, it changes everything. Um, Dan will have Emory ready to play. That offense will score points. Um, I think defensively is, is another situation with Todd Grantham, who, you know, if you look at Todd's career, he usually lasts about three years of places, and that kind of starts to wear out people. He's got a very aggressive system, um, and sometimes it's the aggression is too much, and you, and you get beat big. And that defense last year, Michael, there's way too much time on that defense than to play like they did last year, to set all those records and futility of Florida defenses ever, ever in the history of Florida football. So that's got to stop too. But I, I mean, I wouldn't put the, the idea of Florida losing that many games and you know being like what six and six or I don't know, having been five and seven something like that. Yeah, he's in trouble there. I don't even question about that. But I don't see that. I, I see him figuring it out. Um, probably winning nine or ten games, winning a bowl game, eleven. You know, Emory Jones having a huge season. The offense scoring points again like they typically do. Um, and then I just see, you know, he might go to the NFL. I, I, somebody asked me the other day, you know, how much longer do you think this thing lasts between Florida and then long? That's been probably a year, probably one more season. Now, you're as plugged in as anybody to the college football landscape and everything behind the scenes. So can you give the rest of the SEC some hope here? How much longer do you think Nick Saban's got in <laughs> to, to just dominate the rest of the conference? <laughs> I, I, Michael, we, we ask this question every year. I mean, he's. <laughs> He's like a cyborg, man. He just—he's so good at what he does. 
And he's so good at dealing with turnover on his coaching staff and hiring guys that fit with his mindset. Um, it's hard to see him. It's really, really hard to see him walking away from something he's dominating. And I mean dominating. He defined the greatest, what many people are saying, the greatest, many recruiting experts are saying the greatest recruiting class ever. I think he had, I, I checked this out. I think he had four guys who were number one overall at their position, four who were number two overall at their position, and three who were number three overall at their position. I mean, that's like insanity. Seriously, how, how, do, you, how do you beat a team like that? Um, you know, he's, his quarterback, he was a quarterback this year, Bryce Young, who everybody thought was going to be out Mac Jones, who's a, I mean, like an uber-talented guy, uh, just, a, just a tremendous talent who now gets his shot to run the show. Um, he's got tremendous talent at each position everywhere on that team. So, I mean, you ask me, when is he going to quit? I don't, why would he? <laughs> If, you, if you're still winning and you're still winning on and recruiting, why would you why would you quit? I would let that thing run until it's like, all right, I've got you know eight championships now, I've got ten championships now, I think I'm done now. I mean, at some point you just say, all right, enough, enough, and I'm gonna go fish on the lake, and you know maybe me and Miss Terry can hang out and do a little traveling. Although I can't see Nick, <laughs> I cannot see Nick traveling or sitting there and looking at the Sistine Chapel and going, oh yeah, that was nice. I, I can't see that. I just can't. All right, so it's it's already starting. The off-season hype with Georgia. I'm picking them to win the East. I think they're going to win the entire SEC next year. I know it's a little early to, to say that, but how much pressure do you think is on Kirby Smart not only to win the SEC but to deliver that elusive national championship to the Bulldogs? Well, I, I will tell you this, and I'll give you a little uh, heads up. Uh, my first event column for next week started out up is Georgia. If not now, when for Kirby? Because he's, he's got the quarterback now. He, I mean, it's, it's impossible to screw it up now. He's got the quarterback. He sees clearly has the best quarterback on his team. The guy's coming back. He's, a, he's an elite talent. He can throw the ball. You got receivers. You got running backs. Uh, you retooled the offensive line. Defensively, they're going to be very good. In the back end, at corner and safety, they're going to need to retool some spots, maybe not at a, a, a portal transfer of some sort. But they're going to be good, man. They're going to be really good. And I mean, do, do you pick them against Alabama? I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the point now, honestly, Michael, where I don't think I'm going to pick against Alabama unless it's some crazy situation where the stars are aligning like LSU a couple of years ago when everything good happened and LSU could do no wrong. And, and you know, and they still – it was still a close game in Tuscaloosa without me. So, yeah, I, I, I think clearly the Georgia fans think this is their year. They think this is the year that they win the, the SEC and they play for the national championship. But, boy, you still got to go. That's a tough, tough spot to put any team in to say, yeah, well, by the way, you should beat the team that's dominated college football for the last decade. That's a, that's a hard road, man. All right, last question for you, Matt. You're very plugged in all across the nation, but, you know, you live down there in Florida, very well connected to those programs, obviously. You just had Gus Malzahn on your show the other day. So I want to ask you about – Josh Heupel, that hire at Tennessee, thoughts on that? And do you think at the bare minimum that he can at least make the offense exciting and entertaining for, for Tennessee fans starting next season? Yeah, I, I think if you're Tennessee, that's really how you have to look at it. You have to just say, look, the last couple of years with Fulmer, we just weren't what we wanted. Uh, the one year with Lane Kiffin was, you know, it was exciting. Would have liked to have had more, but he left for, for USC. And then you start getting into Dooley and you start getting into Bush Jones and then the PE teacher. And you start to really start to think, wait a second, man, we just need a coach that's going to give us a little stability 
who can score points and at least make it fun when we're at game. And I think that's what you're going to be with, with Josh. You're going to get a guy that knows the quarterback position, knows how to coach and develop quarterbacks, and knows how to score points. And, and, and look, he stepped into a good situation at UCF, but he's the one who recruited Dylan Gabriel. That was his recruit, his quarterback. So he knows quarterbacks. And they averaged 40 points a game the last three years. So I, I like the hire, if only because it's something completely out of the ordinary for Tennessee. It's completely out of the SEC mindset. Um, it's completely out of we need a Tennessee guy. No, you just need somebody that can score points and get your fans interested in football again instead of dreading every game when every, uh, every fall Saturday rules. All right, well, he's Matt Hayes, college football insider, one of the best in the business. Matt, I really, really appreciate you hopping on and giving us some outstanding stuff. Uh, thanks, man. I really do appreciate it. Sure, Mike. It's my pleasure. All right, great stuff, as you'd expect, from Matt Hayes. Took a deep dive there on the Florida Gators and thoughts on Nick Saban, never going to retire. <laughs> that, uh, at least I got him to laugh when I mentioned that. So I appreciated that and really appreciate Matt hopping on the line here and spieling about giving us some uh, insider content that hey, you're not going to get anywhere else. So that's all I got on this episode. And hope you guys are appreciating the three pods a week during the offseason. I think that's probably... That's likely going to be the format we're going to shoot for for the time being, unless uh, you know there's a ton of news. Maybe we can get a little bit more, but three I think is a good number during the off season. As long as there's spring football content coming out, I'll keep pumping these bad boys out. If you made it this far, of course, as always, leave us a five star written review on the Apple Podcast app. That helps the show grow, and we send you a free beer koozie of your choice just for doing that. Send on send those on over to that. SEC podcast at gmail.com. Let me know you've done that. Send over your review. More than happy to send you a beer koozie of your choice. Because if you, you know, first time listener, we've got Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, LSU, Auburn, Arkansas, Alabama. We got beer koozies for all those schools. And by the time the season rolls around. We're going to have the rest too. So that's just our way of saying thanks for supporting the pod. But that's going to do it. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you on the next one.